Good morning, New Life. Hope you're all doing well out there. If you happen to be new or visiting with us, my name is Chris, and I'm one of the pastors here at New Life. I am really pumped up about today because we are starting a brand new message series called Hope in Exile through the first letter of Peter. Uh, I sat down earlier this week and uh, just read the, the whole letter, the whole book uh, from start to finish. It's not a super long book, so it only took me about 20 minutes. Um, but when I got up, I, I was just pumped, man. I was, I was excited for what God has in store for us um, as we go through this letter together as a faith family in the days ahead. Uh, I'm probably, um, man, I hesitate to say this, but I, I might be more excited about this series than any other series we've preached through in the last uh, year or two. There's just so much here for us, church. It is a rich letter. Um, it is full of hope. It's full of challenges, personal challenges from us, which, which I love. Um, First Peter contains a couple of the hardest passages in all of the Bible to understand, uh, which probably means that uh, I'm going to have Rodney uh, Howell preach those passages. Um, if, if you don't know, Rodney is kind of like our uh, amateur resident theologian on, on staff. And so typically when you see Rodney up here preaching, that, that means that I got to a passage and I was like, nope. I don't know what I'm going to do with that, and so I'll call Rodney and be like, hey, guess what you're doing next Sunday? So you're going to see Rodney at some point. Um, all, all kidding aside, this is, I'm just convinced this is going to be a great series. Um, listen, we're going to take our time in this series. We're not going to go fast. We're, we're not going to rush through this letter. We're going to explore it. We're going to open it up. We're going to savor it. We're going to enjoy the aroma of it. We're going to pull it apart slowly and uh, just see what God has for us. And we're just going to pray as we work through this that God ultimately would reorient our hearts in a way that would cause us to love Jesus more because of us going through and spending some time uh, in this letter hearing from God in his word. Now, here's the game plan for this morning. We're going to spend probably half of our time this morning just kind of doing an intro to the letter. I want you guys to have a, a, a really clear picture of the backdrop of this letter before we really go deep, starting really next week. And then towards the end of our time this morning, we're just gonna crack open the book. We're gonna get a little peek. We're gonna get a small taste of the letter today. We're just gonna kind of savor the first two verses um, of the book this morning. Uh, that's it. And then we're gonna celebrate the Lord's Supper uh, together, which I'm super excited about as well. And uh, just uh, along those lines, if you're joining us for the first time, maybe you're new, uh, you're a visitor, um, now would be the time to take 30 seconds, run to your kitchen, grab a loaf of bread or a pack of crackers, grab some, some juice. If you don't have juice, you can substitute it with something else because in about 30 minutes, we're gonna, we're gonna take the Lord's Supper together um, as a faith family and it's gonna be a, a really awesome time together. So go ahead and prepare for that if you haven't already. Now, uh, this letter was written by, anybody Anybody out there watching know who our author is? And first, Peter, if you know, go ahead and type it in the comment section. The first right answer wins a prize, right? I don't know what that prize is gonna be, but you win a prize. Yeah, that's right, Peter. Peter the disciple, Peter the apostle. Uh, Peter is one of my favorite dudes in all of the New Testament. Uh, Peter was a real character. Peter was a dude that was always kind of getting ahead of himself, 
Peter is a guy who's always just kind of sticking his foot in his mouth. He's just like this loud, confident, brazen, bold dude who loved Jesus, and he went hard after Jesus. And that's the thing I love about Peter, man. He's, he, he, sometimes he'd go hard in the right direction. Sometimes he'd go hard in the wrong direction. But Peter never went half speed. And I think that's one of the reasons I love uh, Peter so much. Now, Peter, some of you probably are aware, he was a commercial fisherman by trade, which makes sense considering that he was from a, a town called Bethsaida, which was a coastal town right on the, the Sea of, of Galilee. I've, I've been in these areas. I've walked the seashore uh, right there. Beautiful place, man. It's, it's green. It's teeming with life. It's beautiful. That's where uh, Peter was from. And so he grew up as a commercial fisherman. Uh, he was also uh, one of the first disciples that, that Jesus called to himself. He's also what's known by Bible scholars as one of the inner three. And so Jesus had the, the 12 disciples, right? That, that was kind of his, his crew that he ran with, the guys that he discipled the most. Those were his, his guys. But then even inside of the 12, he had the inner three, Peter, James, and John. And so Jesus invested even more intentionally into these three guys. And he was probably closer to these guys than anybody else. And so Peter, Peter lived life with Jesus for at least three years. They traveled together. They lived together. They ate together. They fished together. Nobody had a front row seat to the life and teachings of Jesus quite like Peter did. And yet, Peter didn't always get it right. Uh, he, he got it right sometimes, but he didn't always get it right. There's this, uh, there's this scene in Matthew's gospel where uh, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples and he asked them this really important question. And honestly, it's a question that all of us, I think, should probably ask ourselves. And so he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And so his disciples start chiming up and they have all these different answers. Like, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, come back to life. And some say that you're the prophet Elijah. And other people say that you're a different prophet. And Jesus is like, yeah, 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 well, that, I understand that. What? But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter, out of the 12 guys, Peter chimes up and he says, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I mean, he just, he crushes it, right? He, he hits a grand slam. And, and Jesus looks at, at Peter and said, blessed are you, Peter, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I can just picture Peter, the apostle Peter at this point in time, probably like turning around to the other disciples, kind of like, doing the little shoulder brush thing and be like, hey, y'all see that? You boys see that? Like, if y'all want to know how to follow Jesus, if y'all want to know how to be a good disciple, uh, I'm not trying to brag, but y'all probably should watch me. Y'all should probably just imitate me, follow me a little bit, and y'all get it right like I just got it right. Like, Peter is on fire, right? He just hit a home run. He's doing his victory lap. And literally, in the same chapter, like three verses later, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that he's about to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer and die. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and rebukes him. He's like, Jesus, you gotta, you gotta, stop, with, you gotta stop with all this. You're gonna suffer stuff and you're gonna die stuff. Like, man, we're trying to build a kingdom here. And, and not only that, Jesus, you gotta remember, you got me, man. Like, you see, have you seen my guns? Like, I, I'm strong. Like, nobody's gonna take you. You gotta cut out all the, the suffering and dying stuff. We're about to establish a kingdom. And in that moment, Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, some of y'all may be having a bad week or a bad day, but you're not having a bad day like Peter. Listen, when Jesus calls you Satan, 
You just had a bad day. So Peter literally goes from hitting a home run to being called the devil by Jesus himself in a span of about five minutes. This is, this is Peter. That's why we, we love him. I think we can honestly relate to him in so many ways. Later in the Gospels, many of you are familiar, Peter, after all of his bravado, gets so scared the night that Jesus is arrested that he actually denies that he even knows Jesus three times to a middle school girl who recognizes him. But then something happens. Something happens to Peter that, that reorients and shifts his entire focus in his life. Peter became an eyewitness to the resurrected Jesus and he got the Holy Spirit of God and Peter was never the same again. We see Peter reemerge in the book of Acts just in time to preach the first ever Christian sermon. Probably one of the best sermons ever preached in history because 3,000 people hear Peter's first sermon and respond in faith to Jesus. Now, I gotta tell you, man, I, I, get, I get pumped up when one person responds and begins to follow Jesus when I preach a sermon. Like, I'm on cloud nine for a month when that happens. Peter preaches his first sermon and 3,000 people come to faith. And then Peter spent the rest of his life telling people about this resurrected king named Jesus who has the power over life and death. And historical tradition tells us that Peter was actually martyred probably around 68 AD and that he was, he was actually crucified upside down when he refused to deny his faith in Jesus. And he specifically asked that he would be crucified upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to die the same way that Jesus died. And so when Peter writes this letter to Christians who are in exile, Christians who are suffering, Christians who are in pain, you've got to understand, Peter, when Peter's writing this, this is not some ivory tower, uber-rich theologian sitting in his second vacation home with servants feeding him grapes as he pontificates about how to suffer well. Listen, if you get crucified for your faith in Jesus and you're just like, hey, just flip this baby upside down for me. Just, just flip this upside down. I'm not worthy to even die the way Jesus died. Why don't you just flip this around? Listen, that, that's legit, right? Peter's got some street cred here. So when Peter writes to these Christians in exile, who, these Christians who are suffering, these words, his words, carry a ton of weight. See, we've got to understand who's writing and why they're writing and why we should listen to them. And in this case, there's a million reasons we should listen to the words of Peter. Peter likely writes this letter uh, in the early to mid-60s A.D. Personally, I think he wrote the letter right around 64 A.D. Uh, for you history buffs out there, you may remember what was going on in Rome right around 64 A.D. At this time, uh, the Roman Empire was vast. They were conquering lands. They were uh, taking over huge swaths of different continents. And they were ruled at this time in 64 A.D. by a psychopath named Nero. And Nero was absolutely obsessed with building new things, building buildings. He was obsessed with uh, modernizing Rome. And then all of a sudden, uh, this fire breaks out in Rome and like burns down half, half the city. Now, a lot of people, I think rightly, uh, thought that Nero himself did it because he wanted to rebuild the city. But in order to shift the blame off of himself, he pinned it on uh, a new group of people in Rome called the Christians, and this set off one of the fiercest periods of persecution that the early church ever experienced. Um, history tells us that at this point in time, uh, Nero started crucifying Christians. There are actually accounts of Nero um, 
taking the skins of wild animals and sewing them on Christians and then releasing his dogs so that the Christians would basically just be mauled to death. He would actually take Christians and, and dip them in this flammable tar type stuff and put them up on these big poles and set them ablaze to light his parties, his gardens at night. I mean, this was just a brutal time. So as you can imagine, many Christians were, were dispersed. They were living in exile. But even when these believers were not being persecuted by the state, they often suffered uh, ridicule from family, verbal abuse, exclusion by neighbors, friends, family, because as Christians, they rejected all the gods of the day, right? So they worshiped many different gods in Rome, and the Christians said, no, 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 there's, there's one God, and we've, we've seen him, and we've found him in Jesus. And church, listen, for, for us today as followers of Jesus in 2020, in, in some real sense, it feels like we are in exile as well, right? Because of this whole crazy situation with the coronavirus, that's going on. And then on top of that, I realize that many of you out there that are tuned in right now, that are watching this broadcast, you are suffering in real ways. Many of you have lost your jobs. Many of you have been furloughed. Many of you are facing um, financial hardships that you didn't know were coming. Some of you know people who are sick. Some of you are worried about getting sick. Many of you, I'm sure, are worried about uh, like an economic catastrophe. There are some talking heads out there talking about you know, a global recession or a global depression. And man, what's, what, if that happens, what does that, what does that mean for us? Maybe you're, maybe you're watching this, maybe you're tuned in and you're a senior in high school and it feels like you've lost everything, man. You've lost your graduation. You've lost your senior trip. You've lost irreplaceable time with your friends. And it feels like for all of us, we've, we've lost something in this season. And I know that some of you are suffering greatly in various ways. We've all got this sense of being kind of in exile. Now, I, listen, I don't know where all of this is, is headed. For the record, I don't buy into all the doomsday uh, scenarios and talking heads out there. So I, I don't know where this is going, but, but here's what I do know. I do know that suffering is part of life. Suffering is just a part of life. And so I can promise you, everybody under the sound of my voice who's watching this broadcast right now, you fall into one of three different categories of people, all right? I just, I just know that about you. You're either in the first category of people, and you're, you're somebody that's coming out of a season of suffering. So you just come out of something tragic in your life. You just come out of some major loss or pain. That's one category of people. The second category of people watching this right now are somebody who's, who's in the middle of suffering, so perhaps you've just lost a job, you've just lost your senior year in high school, whatever, whatever it is, somebody, somebody is sick in your family, maybe you're sick yourself. So you're either coming out of suffering, you're in suffering, or you could be in that third category of people and everything's smooth sailing right now, but you're getting ready to head into a season of suffering, a storm in life. Because that's life in this broken, sin-ravaged world in which we live. And so this letter from Peter, I don't think could come at a more perfect time for us. Now, Peter writes to these Christians whose world seems to be spinning out of control for one primary purpose, and that is to give them hope right in the middle of their suffering. It's as if Peter is yelling to these believers, and he's yelling through the, the corridors of time and history to us today, saying to them, listen, beloved, endure for a little while because ultimately hope belongs to you and glory is coming. 
See, I'm, I'm convinced more than ever that the key to suffering in life is knowing where your hope comes from. And as a pastor, I'm convinced that we need a good theology of suffering. As American Christians, we in so many ways have had it so easy for so long that I think I'm afraid that many of us have grown soft in our walk with Jesus. We don't have a category in our faith for suffering anymore. So for many of us, what happens when suffering comes into our life, when, when, when pain or loss knocks on our doorstep, when it touches us in some kind of way, like we, we just don't have a category for it. We, we, we just don't know how, how to handle it. And so a lot of times what happens is we either think God is mad at us, that, that we've done something wrong, that he's punishing us, that he's angry at us, or we begin to think, well, maybe he's not even there. And so what happens oftentimes when we begin to suffer as followers of Jesus is we, we either run away from God or we walk away from the faith entirely because we don't have a proper understanding or framework for suffering in our worldview. But the early Christians understood faith differently than we do, and they understood suffering differently than we do. See, the early Christians, the first century church, understood that there was always, always purpose in their pain. They understood that a, that a loving and sovereign God uses suffering in our lives to, to mold us into the image of his son and also to display his glory to a watching world. And church, listen, we, we need that perspective. As a faith family, as Christians in America in 2020, we desperately need that perspective. We need a category for suffering in our faith walk because without it, Without it, when suffering comes, if we don't have a proper understanding of it, uh, our lives are gonna crumble, our faith is gonna crumble in the fires of life. And listen, I want, I want your faith to be strong. I want your faith, I want our collective faith together as a faith family to be strong. I want your faith to be ferocious enough to withstand seasons of ease in life as well as seasons of exile, seasons of pain, seasons of loss, seasons of suffering. That's why Peter writes this letter, and that's why we're going to, just as a church family, bathe in the riches of this letter for the next couple of months. Now, the tone of this letter, as we're going to see, is not timid. It's, it's interesting. You would almost expect Peter to really kind of soft pedal and be gentle with these believers who are really suffering. That's not the tone that he takes. Uh, there, Peter never, not one time in this letter, says, hey, Oh shucks, guys! I, I'm so I'm so sorry that you're you're going through this. My heart just breaks into a million little pieces for you. Just just hang in there because God is gonna get you through this because He just wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and happy, and He wants you to have prosperity. And so just hang in there, and God's gonna fix all this really soon. Peter never says that. Peter never soft pedals these believers like so many popular voices in the Christian world today seem to do. This is not a timid letter. This is, this is not a fearful letter. The tone of Peter's letter to these suffering believers is bold. It's daring. It's confident. It's, it's unbelievable. And I think it's just what we need. And so let's dip our toes into 1 Peter, and then we'll really dive in deeply uh, starting next week. If you have a Bible at home, and I hope that you do, go ahead and grab it and head for the letter of 1 Peter um, that's close to the end of your New Testament if you're looking for it in your Bible. We're just going to look at the greeting together this morning, and then we're going to celebrate together the Lord's Supper. All right, so 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is what it says. Peter, 
an apostle of Jesus Christ. All right, let's, let's pause there. Now I promise we'll, we'll pick up the pace. We're not gonna be in 1 Peter for the next seven years, but we need, to, we need to kinda understand the beginnings and what he's trying to communicate right out of the gate. So Peter identifies himself right out of the gate as an author of, the author of this letter. Now he'll tell us later on in the letter, he'll mention a, a guy named Silvanus. He's this um, brother in the faith. He was a companion of the apostle Paul. And this brother either transcribed this letter for Peter or delivered it for him. But in either case, Peter is letting us know that he's, he's the source of this letter. Ultimately, he's, he's the author. And Peter identifies himself as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, the, the word apostle just means messenger. So there are really kind of two uses of the word apostle in the New Testament. There's kind of what I call the, the capital A apostle and then what I would call the lowercase a apostle. Now, a lowercase a apostle is just someone who's a messenger of the good news. So oftentimes, uh, missionaries to other countries might be called uh, apostles or referred to as apostles in this sense. But when we're talking about what I would call capital A apostles, this, this is a title that's reserved for somebody that has to meet two specific qualifications, right? So if you were an apostle in this sense, you had to, one, be an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, all right? And then secondly, you had to actually be commissioned by Jesus himself. And so in the beginning, you had 11 apostles, right? You have the, the 12 disciples minus Judas who betrayed Jesus. You had Paul who was added, added later on. And so Peter, in essence, when he says, hey, Peter, an apostle of Jesus, he's saying, listen, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm that dude that lived with Jesus. I was with him. I saw him crucified. I saw him resurrected, and then I was actually sent out by Jesus himself. In other words, listen, my, my words carry some weight here, not, not because I'm anybody special, but because Jesus himself sent me to you. God, God has a word for you, and so li listen up. That's what Peter is saying. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, let's move on. To those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now this area that Peter references is Asia Minor. Um, I don't know if you knew that or not, but this is basically modern day Turkey, an area where I was at with a few of our people from, from New Life just a few months ago. And Peter is writing to the churches, or these Christians who are scattered in this area of the Roman Empire. And interestingly, he addresses them as elect exiles. Elect Exiles. Think, think about that phraseology just for a minute. This is, it, it almost seems like an oxymoron at first blush, right? Because it, it would it'd be like calling somebody an impoverished millionaire. Right? Like, it, it just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense at first blush because when, when Peter's calling these Christians, he's, he's calling these suffering Christians elect. And what he's doing by calling them elect is he's, he's reminding them of who they really are. See, in hard times... In times like these, when a virus is ravaging our world and things are shut down and it seems like we're missing out on so much, when times are hard, it's so easy to get distracted by what's going on around you that you begin to forget the core identity inside of you. And so you gotta, we gotta understand, we gotta listen to, to know that before you know what to do, you have to know who you are. You've gotta know what your identity is in Christ. And so Peter is saying to these Christians who are suffering in the first century, hey, listen, 
Listen, guys, eyes on me. I, I, know, I know you're suffering. I, I, I know it's hard. I know, I know you're afraid. I know you're scared. I know for some of you, none of this makes sense right now. But listen, you have to understand that you are not a follower of Jesus by accident. You're not just a follower of Jesus because your, your parents were Christians, or you're not a follower of Jesus just because you happen to grow up in church. Ultimately, you love Jesus because God loved you so much that before the foundations of this world, he chose you. He picked you out. He set you apart for his purposes. That's, that's what elect means. Peter's saying you are so loved by God that he chose you before you ever drew your first breath. You need to remember that as you suffer. <clears throat> so he calls them elect, but he also calls them something else. He calls them exiles. Now that word literally means stranger, foreigner, or sojourner. So Peter is saying, listen, yes, you are, you are chosen. You are loved. You are a prized possession of God, that God had you on his mind before you were even born, but all that is true, but this is, this is not your home. Believer, this is, this is not your home. You, you are an exile. You are a stranger here. You are a sojourner. You are passing through. This, this is your identity. When you suffer, Peter is saying, I want you to remember two things. I want you to remember who you are. You are chosen. You are loved. You are cherished by the God of this universe. But you also have to remember, this is not your home. So Peter is saying, listen, don't get too comfortable here. Don't get too comfortable here and don't be surprised when you suffer here because follower of Jesus, we're just passing through. Now, uh, listen, listen to the way the Apostle Paul puts it in uh, another letter to a group of Christians in a city called Philippi. This will be on your screen. This is what Paul says. He says, but our, our citizenship is where? Our citizenship is in heaven. In other words, it's, it's not here. This is, this is not our home. Our citizenship is someplace else. Our home is someplace else. And then Paul says, and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Christians, we are not citizens here. And this world is not our home. And here, here's what I think Peter and Paul both are, are trying to, to get at. Many, many of you know I, I grew up, had the privilege of growing up overseas. And, and so my parents were, were missionaries in, in Central and South America. And my wife grew up as a, as a missionary kid in, in Africa. And we got married in and soon after we got married, we went to Asia as, as missionaries and spent two and a half years there. And we came back to the States about 10 years ago and I served for seven or eight years as a mission pastor on staff at, at a church. And uh, even just as recently as a few months ago, there was a group of us right here at New Life who, who went and ex explored some different partnerships overseas. And man, I, I love that stuff. I've been doing that stuff since I was a, a little kid, as far back as I can remember. I, I love traveling, I love experiencing new cultures and new people and new tastes and new smells. And I mean, I, I love all of that stuff. I love going to places where Jesus is not known and, and proclaiming the gospel to people maybe that have never heard. All that stuff is awesome. But what I have noticed as I've gotten older, and I have a wife now and I have uh, three kids that, as I've, I just kind of noticed that as I go on these trips, after about three days, I start to get homesick. <laughs> like, 
I, I love these other countries. I love the peoples of these other countries. It's exciting to me to travel and experience all these. But I'm just telling you, after about three days, I just get this, this gut level sense of homesickness. I mean, I, I just, I start, I start missing home. I just, I wanna talk to my wife and I wanna hug my three kids and I wanna wrestle with my dog and I wanna sleep in my own bed and I wanna take a warm shower. I, I, just, I just start getting homesick and the longer I'm gone, the, the worse it seems to get. I remember uh, back, I don't know, this is probably five or six years ago, I went on a on mission trip actually with some, some guys from, from New Life, Pastor Steve and some others. And um, we, went, we went to the, the mountains of Peru. And I had never, I'd never been there. And so we, we land and, and we get in this little rickety bus thing and we're, we're driving 10,000 feet up into the mountains. And, and literally, I had to stop looking out the window because we were on these little mountain roads, looked out, and our tire couldn't have been more than two or three inches from a, a ledge and a drop off of, I mean, probably a couple thousand feet. I mean, it would have been a sure death sentence. So I just started praying. I closed my eyes. I quit looking out the window. We get up there, finally about 10,000 feet. Uh, some of us have altitude sickness. I had headaches every, every single day because of the lack of oxygen up there. Some of the locals gave us some, some leaves that we could make a, a tea that was supposed to open up the blood vessels in your, your brain so that your head wouldn't hurt so much. I'm still not sure that that tea was completely legal, but it did help a little bit. And um, so we were up there, man, and we, 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 we had a, ho a hotel, which was basically this huge concrete building that looked like a bomb shelter. I mean, there was nothing, and everything was concrete. There was a bed, uh, and there was a little pipe that came out that you could get cold water to take a shower. We wake up in the morning. It was freezing cold. You could see your breath, and uh, the water was even colder. So I can remember, um, you know, just undressing in the morning and, and, and literally shivering and trying to psych myself up to go jump in that stream of cold water. And I did that one day and almost died. And, uh, and I think I took uh, baby white bass the rest of the week and went and hung out with some villagers who were super kind. They, they cooked this meal and I got sick as a dog. And I, it was just, in some ways, it was, it was a rough trip, man. It was, it was really rough. And I'm just telling you, the thing that got me through that rough trip was thinking about home. I was thinking, man, in a, in a week's time, I'm gonna be back with my wife, I'm gonna be back with my kids, and I'm gonna be sleeping in my bed, I'm gonna have a warm shower, I'm gonna get some antibiotics to feel better. And I just, like, it was those thoughts of home that got me through those days. And I think for a lot of us, it's remembering, in tough times, it's remembering what home is gonna be like that gets us through those tough times away from home. And that's what I think the Apostle Peter is punching at here. He's saying, listen, yes, Yes, Christian, you are elect, you are chosen, you are loved, you are adopted sons and daughters of the God of this universe. Don't forget who you are, but in the same breath, don't forget where your home is. This is not your home. You do not belong here. You do belong somewhere. You do have a home, and that's where we're headed. So we can suffer for a little while because when this is over, we're gonna go home because we are citizens of heaven and when we get there, it's gonna be incredible. The glory of home is gonna dwarf our pain and our suffering in exile. And if Peter, the apostle Peter, was standing here right here on this stage today talking to you, this is what I think that he would tell you. If you, if you take notes, I would encourage you to write this down because 
this, I think, is the key to suffering well. I think we can extrapolate this from what Peter's saying. So two keys to suffering well. Number one is you have to know who you are. You've got to know what your identity is. And then the second key to suffering well is you have to know where home is. Listen, believer, Christian, if you get either one of those off kilter, if you mess up even one of those, you're, you're going you're gonna to lose hope. I'm just telling you, it's not a matter of when you lose hope. It's just a matter of w- when it's going to happen for you. Now, it's, it's, not gonna, it's not your pain, your suffering's not gonna make sense if you don't have those things in order. But listen, if you, if you know who you are, if you know your identity and you know where home is, you can endure anything with joy and hope for a while. Now listen, if you're tuned in, and I know some of you tuned in watching right now are believers, you're followers of Jesus, you love Jesus, you follow him, you've given your life to him. And I also realize there are likely some of you who are, who are not Christians, and I'm, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're with us. I'm glad you're tuned in. But I, I want you to understand that these, these promises that, that Peter is, is talking about don't currently apply to you. But, but I need you to understand that these are promises that are available to you. In fact, if you're, if you're tuned in, you're watching this, you're not a follower of Jesus, I think you're probably tuned in right now because God is inviting you into these promises. And as we, we close in, in just a little while, you'll have a chance to, to take a step to begin to, to follow Jesus. And I would encourage you to do that if that's where you're at at this point in your life. Now let's move on. Verse, verse two, Peter moves on to verse two and he says, according to the, fore, listen to this, the foreknowledge of God the Father. So we, we have God the Father present doing, doing work in our lives, like right? the, the electing work of God in our lives. And then he moves on, he says, in the sanctification of the Spirit. So now we, we've got the Father at work in our lives. We've got the Spirit at work in our lives. For what? For the obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now this is one of the most beautiful Trinitarian verses in the whole Bible. All whole of the Bible. Peter is reminding them, hey, elect exiles, you and I... He's reminding us that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are working powerfully in us, even in our suffering. Peter, in essence, is saying, hey, hey, listen, the, the Father foreknew you. Before the foundations of this world, God had his hand on you. Before you were even formed in your mother's womb, God was, he was already thinking about you. He already loved you like crazy, even before you had your first thought. God foreknew you. He chose you. He loves you. His hand is on you. So follower of Jesus, what that means is that, listen, there's, there's no circumstance in your life. There's no, there's no virus. There's no job loss. There's no financial hardship. There, there's, there's no losing of your senior year. There's no loss of your health. None of that, Peter is saying, could ever pull you away from your father. Nothing, nothing can pull you away from your father. And then Peter goes, I also want you to remember your sanctification, that the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you. And so when you, listen, believer, when you lose that job, the bills are piling up, when someone you know gets sick, when the losses in your life seem like they're just stacking up, God says, I have set you apart by my spirit. I've set you apart by my spirit. So I wanna give you just two quick truths and then we'll, we'll be done here. Here's, here's the first truth. Number one, believer, you are not alone in your suffering. 
you are not alone in your suffering. Your father has set his affection on you before the foundations of the world. And the Holy Spirit has set you apart. Believer, you are never alone. We've got to remember that. You're never, never alone. And then Peter closes out his greeting by saying, hey, hey, listen, your, your father chose you. He foreknew you. His spirit is within you. He set you apart. He's sanctifying you. And God is doing all of this in you so that, in order that you will what? In order that you will obey Jesus who has sprinkled you, has, who has bought you, has purchased you with his blood. And he's saying, Christians, you can't forget that. Now, listen, this is big. Peter is saying, you have been made elect exiles, chosen sojourners for one purpose primarily, and that is to obey Jesus Christ. Now, these first century Christians understood, I think in a way that we don't currently understand, they understood that they were made to obey Jesus. Listen, they were, they were suffering greatly because of their obedience to Jesus. You know, uh, obeying Jesus, oftentimes, most of the time, comes with consequences. Even, even in our uh, American culture as Christians, there are consequences to following Jesus and obeying Jesus. Listen, if you, if you don't believe me, just, just start talking about, in our culture today, America, 2020, start talking about God's framework, God's design for marriage. Start, start talking about God's framework. Start, start talking about God's design for sexuality or, or gender. I promise you, you will be hated in our culture. I'm not talking about any kind of radical ideas. I'm talking about orthodox, historical Christianity for the last 2,000 years. You start talking about those belief systems in our culture, you will be hated in our culture. And see, these early Christians, same thing. They had a choice to obey Jesus as elect exiles and suffer for it, or they had a choice to bail out on Jesus and make their own lives a whole heck of a lot easier, and they chose to suffer because they understood what you and I so desperately need to understand this morning, and this is our second point, number two, there are sacred purposes in our suffering. Believer, hear that, let that seep into your heart. There are sacred purposes in our suffering. And listen, church, as, as our culture moves further and further away from an orthodox Christian worldview, we are going to find ourselves more and more on the margins of society. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's happening now. We're, we're heading into a, 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 what anthropologists call post-Christian, post-modern culture. And, and more and more, we are going to find ourselves, if we really love Jesus, follow his teachings, and obey Jesus, like Peter is saying that we ought to do, if we do that, if we live that life, if we believe that, we're gonna find ourselves increasingly on the margins of our society. Exiles, considered strangers from a foreign land, aliens, foreigners. And if we don't have a hope that is built into something or onto something greater than just ourselves or our circumstances, we will crumble under the weight of our exile and our suffering. So church, I, want, I just want you, want you to hear me. When, thing, when things get hard, and they will get hard, when you suffer for Jesus, when your friends at school make fun of you for taking a stand following Jesus and his ways, when your neighbors think that you're crazy, that you're insane for believing the things that you do, Peter is reminding you that you were set apart, you were chosen 
to obey Jesus. When it's easy, obey. When it costs you everything, obey Jesus. When you might lose friends, obey Jesus. Why? Why in the world would you do that? Because we know who we are and we know where home is. And in the end, it will have all been worth it on that final day when we look into the face of our risen king and we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. As we live in this way, as we walk this strange path in this world, following Jesus, embracing who we are in Christ and embracing where our ultimate home really is, Peter says, as we do that, grace and peace will be multiplied in our lives. I want to close with this. I want to skip ahead to, to 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll get to this in, in a few weeks. But I, I just felt like you needed to have a taste of this as we close our time together. This will be on the screen for you. This is how Peter closes his letter to these believers in exile who are suffering greatly. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself, listen to this, Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Friend, we can suffer for a little while in our exile because God himself is with us and we are on our way home. Listen, that's how the story ends for all of us who follow Jesus. Listen, our, our story as followers of Jesus never ends in pain. That's never where it ends for us. Our story never ends in suffering or loss. Our story always and forever ends in restoration, healing, hope, and life. Hope in exile. Believer, remember who you are and remember where your home is. Let me pray for us and then we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Father, Father, would you remind us in our suffering, in our exile, that there is divine purpose in our pain? God, would you, would you remind us that we are not alone? We are never alone. We are, we are chosen. We are loved. We are set apart. We are filled with the Spirit of God. We are sprinkled with the blood of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us remember who we are in seasons of suffering, God. Help us remember where our home is so that we can suffer well for a little while and so that even in our pain, even in our suffering, the world around us will be able to see the beauty that is within us, that they might also taste and see the goodness of our God. And we pray all of these things in the name which we cling to in these hard days, in the name which we cling to forever and always, the beautiful name of Jesus, amen. Now we're gonna move into a time of celebration now. We're gonna celebrate the fact that, listen, if you're tuned in, you're a follower of Jesus, we're gonna celebrate the fact that you are a blood-bought elect exile because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ on your behalf. And the fact that we can, we can suffer in hope and we can suffer with joy only because of what Jesus has done for us. So if you're watching this and you're a believer, I hope that you have some elements close by we're about to celebrate. Now listen, if you're, if you're watching this and you're not a Christian, so you're tuned in, 
Maybe you've been a religious person in your life. Maybe you've been irreligious. I, I don't know what your, your past is, but you're there and, and you know ultimately that you don't follow this Jesus that we've been talking about. You don't have a relationship with him. If, that, if that's you, I just wanna encourage you right now to place your faith in Jesus. Like right now, in this moment, just to, just to pray some, some simple prayer. There's no magical words, but just, just to cry out to God in the silence of your heart and say, God, I'm, I'm a sinner. God, I, I recognize that, that, that I'm a rebel, that I've messed up my life, and I, I'm hearing your word now, and I, I want to have hope. And I want to know you. I want to know the God of this universe. I want to be an elect exile. I want to have a relationship, and I want to follow Jesus. God, if that's your heart, just pray that out. Say, God, I want you to come into my life. Jesus, I give you my life. I turn away from my sin and I turn towards Jesus. Now listen, if you just kind of prayed that prayer in this very moment, I would encourage you to take the elements with us. This will be your first time to take the elements as an elect exile, as a child of God, and that's something to celebrate. So if you're at home now, let me just encourage you, go ahead and grab your, your bread or your cracker, grab your, your juice or whatever a liquid or drink that you have, and we're gonna celebrate what God has done for us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And so I just wanna read a little bit for you. This is at the end of the life of Jesus. It's right before he's arrested and is crucified. He's sharing a meal with his 12 disciples. And this is found in Matthew chapter 26, starting in verse 26. It says, now as they were eating, Jesus took the bread, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it apart and he gave some to the disciples. And he said, take and eat of this because this is my body. Church, let's take and eat and remember the broken body of Jesus on our behalf. And after that, he took the cup. And we had given thanks to the Father. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Church, let's take and drink as we remember his blood poured out for us. And church, I know you're, you're at home, you're in your living room or your bedroom or your front, front porch, wherever it is, but I'm gonna encourage you to stand up. Get up off the couch, stand up, and let's worship together our risen king this morning.